0: Thank you to Shirley and Marco for reading our passages of scripture this morning. Now, if your mind is prone to wondering, if you've got a bit of a butterfly mind, and the only thing that you take away from this sermon today is the brevity of its title, People Matter, then I hope that those two words will inspire you in the variety of all your dealings with the people that you love the people that you work with, the people that you live with, and the people that you meet. I'm going to take you back in time now, not too far, but just to the start of the year, uh, when we have our Methodist Covenant service. And it includes these words, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Christ has many services to be done, And it continues to unpack that sentence by naming the highs and the lows of Christian service. If I were to start it off, in the context of today, I would say Christ has many services to be done, but some are more obvious than others. Some Christian service within the life of the church is done publicly. For example, I am preaching to you now, and undoubtedly you're hanging on every word that I say. But you know, the majority of Christian service either happens behind the scenes or has a very low profile. And I hasten to add at this point, it does not make it insignificant, not in any way The counters, for example, will total up the collection after the service behind closed doors. The PowerPoint slides, which seem to appear by magic each week, but it's not magic at all. Somebody prepares them. The preparation of communion this morning was happening before I'd even left home. And I could go on. Those roles are carried out faithfully, day in and day out. If they were to cease, the church would be greatly affected, even though they don't appear to be particularly obvious. So let's add to that list of services, pastoral ministry. It's sometimes called invisible ministry, And certainly the confidentiality of the nature of that service prevents pastoral leaders from sharing what has been shared with them and by whom. So on this day, when we celebrate, and we do celebrate the commissioning and rededication of our pastoral leaders, perhaps that reading that Shirley shared with us from Ecclesiastes might have come as a bit of a surprise to you. Last week when I was talking uh, to our young people, I said there are some passages in the Bible that make us feel uncomfortable. But here, perhaps, it is the writer of Ecclesiastes that's just making us feel a little uncomfortable. Because, let's face it, to put it politely, Ecclesiastes is an unusual book. Michael Mitten writes and I liked this, hence that's why I share it. At first sight, it seems to be the rambling thought of an aging cynic who has been around the block too many times. For me, the way I see it is not someone I'd like to get stuck in a lift with. Everything, says the writer, is not just meaningless, it is utterly meaningless. The writer seems to have a very pessimistic view of life, and it's right there, it's right at the start. That's how he starts his book. Not only does that statement make us feel very uncomfortable, but, as I say, we feel uncomfortable about the writer too. We sometimes refer to this book as the good book. And so we perhaps say, well, what is a book like Ecclesiastes doing in the Bible? But strange though it may be, I think that Ecclesiastes deserves a place within the canon of Scripture, as indeed many other people did. And it's there because I think it's real. And its perspective is honest and real about life. But he doesn't just leave it there, I think. It invites us to explore what is really valuable to us. Let me pause for a moment, moment and share with you a story about someone who worshipped at the same church of me, as me in another part of the country uh, before I became a minister, This person uh, who worshipped a church suffered from depression, uh, but she managed it very well. Uh, She was a wife, she was a mother, uh, she held down a good job. But when her uncle died, she found herself plunged into that dark place again. And I could see that she was struggling, and so I said, why don't you come round and have a cup of coffee and a chat? And she did. And she shared, and by the time she'd finished explaining how she felt, I have to say to you, I honestly did not know what to say to her. And I longed for the words to make it all all right for her, but I couldn't find any. And so I simply said to her, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. And do you know what she said to me? and I've never forgotten it, she was extremely gracious because she said, I don't expect you to say anything. I felt a huge burden of relief lifted off my shoulders, but what grace she responded with. I've never forgotten that, although it's happened some years ago, because it taught me something. We must resist the temptation to rush in with off the peg answers. I think that's something that the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to say. There are def- difficult questions out there. We can't always give the answer. Don't rush in with off the peg answers. You don't need to complicate pastoral ministry by feeling that you have to supply the answer to every problem that is presented to you. And for me, there are two reasons why we don't need to do that. The first is, and perhaps coming back to that story I just shared, is do not underestimate the gift of listening and just being there, being there. I think I've said it before from this platform, Job's comforters were doing a great job when they sat around him and listened to him, but it all went a bit pear-shaped when they opened their mouths. The ministry of presence is one, I believe, that cannot be emphasized enough. And certainly in this case where my friend was a Christian, she has a good Christian faith, suffering from depression, who knows very well that familiar verse in the Bible that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness, is able to say in that safe arena of my home over a cup of coffee, without condemnation, the reality is it really doesn't feel like that for me at the moment, and it's not easy for them to say it or to admit it, and it's not easy perhaps for us to hear, but once expressed, we know where we are, and that is what we bring to God in prayer, who I sincerely believe is the greatest respecter of honesty we will ever meet. What is it 1 Peter says? Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. The second reason I don't think we need to give an answer is quite simply because there isn't always one. The book of Ecclesiastes is actually quite frustrating because the writer asks more questions than he gives answers. But if we're honest, isn't that how life is anyway? What is the answer to a successful Brexit? What is the answer to the migrant situation? What is the answer to the war in Syria? What is the answer to global warming? We could go on. And I'm guessing that most, if not all of us this morning, are living with our own personal questions, deeply personal and tragic circumstances summed up in that short word, why? Why? And perhaps the person of faith not only lives with their question, but lives in their question. Perhaps when all is not as we think it should be, we learn what is truly valuable. What does he teach us about ourselves? What does he teach us about our faith? What does he teach us about God? Pastoral ministry. Doesn't have to provide answers on the big and small relevant questions of life. And frankly, I have to say, I despair over flippant answers. Much rather somebody say, I don't know. This empathetic ministry involves being alongside those who are struggling with doubt, struggling with faith, for whom life seems meaningless. It's a powerful ministry to be alongside those people in those dark places. And in fact, it's very interesting as we read the Gospels how many times Jesus makes time for people in his ministry. Note the time that he took with people. Very important. And particularly with those people whom no one else wanted to have anything to do with. That time he was on his way to Jairus' daughter and was interrupted on his way. The time that he took to speak to that woman who was healed. So let's come to our second reading, that wonderful passage from 2 Corinthians. I've asked a lot of questions this morning corinthians deals with the comfort aspect of the christian faith and in the few verses we heard this morning we see a kind of summary of the christian life and that is frankly it's not all plain sailing so paul says praise be to god who comforts us in our troubles Now at the time he was writing, in the early days of the Christian church, when someone chose to become a Christian, they chose to face trouble. And this was in a variety of ways. It could be in persecution, hostility, you may even be abandoned by your own family. And I have spoken a lot this morning about the difficulties of life. So let's give some space to the triumph of life and the triumph of our Christian faith. In the midst of trouble, there is God. We're not left to face these troubles on our own. It's not up to us to summon up our own endurance. There comes to us the comfort of God. And it's such a short reading. It's only four verses. But you know the word comfort and comforted is mentioned eight times. Eight times, just so that we get it. If we didn't get it the first time, perhaps we'll get it the second. If we didn't get it the second, we'll get it the third, and so on and so forth. Eight times Paul writes about God's comfort. But what about that word comfort? In the New Testament, it means so much more than soothing sympathy because the root of the word comfort has its root in the Latin, fortis, which means brave. Christian comfort is the comfort which brings courage and enables the Christian to endure everything that life throws at them. We are not talking about wishful thinking here. We are talking about trusting in God, with a trust that is rooted in honest searching. And that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the account of Elijah hiding in a cave. he just performed an outstanding miracle. He runs away from one woman and hides in a cave, fearing for his life. Does God wash his hands of the great man Elijah? No, he does not. Is God in the cave? Yes, he is. He cherishes Elijah in his vulnerability. There is the comfort. And then the courage comes. He then says, come on, Elijah. Your work isn't over yet. And Elijah leaves the cave a braver man than the man he went in as. And Paul, too, was speaking from experience here. He had suffered on land and sea from robbers, from the Jews, from the heathen. Besides these difficulties, he was also overwhelmed with the cares and anxieties of his churches. But in this short text of triumph, Paul is able to testify that no amount of troubles can equal the comfort That accompanies them. No amount of troubles can equal the comfort that accompanies them. And therefore, Paul adds, he was enabled to comfort those themselves who found themselves in any kind of trouble. He was able to comfort them with the comfort that he had received himself from God. So if we are to exercise, that great Wesleyan tradition of watching over one another in love. And I know that you'll appreciate that this is not just the responsibility of the pastoral leaders, but of everyone. We need to be sensitive, we need to be empathetic, and we have the means to be open to each other, to open to each other, the comfort of God. We have the means to open each other to the comfort of God. And that is powerful. And you may say, what, who, me? Yes, you. And you may protest that you have your limitations. And that really is okay, because I've got my limitations too. And so did the Apostle Paul. And so I finish with this account. The Swiss scholar, preacher, Walter Luthe, when writing his book on 2 Corinthians, there kept appearing in his head the image of a messenger, limping with a wooden leg, and he ended up calling his book on 2 Corinthians, the limping messenger. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, limped and stumbled, as he carried God's message and comfort through the world. Yet, because the message he carried was of one who died on the cross in weakness, but lives by the power of God, it reached and continues to reach its goal. So hear the words of Jesus that he shared in that upper room with his disciples. The world will make you suffer but be brave because I have defeated the world. You bring your own unique story to your ministry and the supreme result of all of this is that you gain the power to comfort others who go through a difficult time because the ultimate source of comfort is God, and people matter to him. Amen.